Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Often I uh, you know, hear people talking about, and I get the impression that people, to, many people today, particularly academics and educated people, feel that um, yeah, the Bible is out of date. And perhaps maybe they've uh, been, you know, taught in uh, some of their studies somewhere that, you know, the Bible is um, just uh, the tradition of uh, some uh, Hebrews that, you know, wrote down stuff according to their particular um, time in in history, and that uh, the, and that really the Bible isn't a, a special book in any way. Whereas, of course. The Bible itself, um, in many instances, talks about how the Bible was inspired by God, our Creator. Other other times, I've been in conversations where people will say, "Well, you know, the Bible isn't really scientific either. You know, it, it's not a scientific textbook. Well, it certainly is a scientific textbook. But if the Bible is inspired by God and is therefore true, then we would expect that." Uh, things that it says, while they might not be a scientific treatise on something, would nonetheless be something consistent with with science. And I've found this, you know, very much so in so many different aspects of looking at the Bible. Matter of fact, as um, as you know, I've read through the Bible many times now, but. As I look at the, the picture of what it describes, it, it fits so much of, of what I actually observe empirically around me in terms of behaviour of people and also the whole concept of God, a creator God, a super intelligence that wants to have a relationship with us actually makes a whole lot of sense to me. You know, we we have these uh, programs where we're spending millions of dollars, probably hundreds of millions of dollars, on uh, programs, scientific programs, trying to look for life in our outer space, you know, looking for some sort of radiation, some sort of uh, radio wave or microwave coming from outer space that is uh, seems to be encoded rather than just noise and and there's signs of some other sort of advanced civilization or or looking for you know signs of uh, the of possible planets that could have life and yet when we look at life ours uh, at, itself and and I've talked about this in you know many of the the previous programs on the talks on this program we we know that it's absolutely impossible for life to have evolved and formed by chance. Just the complexity of the biochemistry of all the different types of life and all the different types of biochemistry and, and molecules and compounds that are in play in these biological systems. And um, it, um, you know, it's so clear to me that there's evidence of a designer. Everything just works, just works right. It's... It, it's spot on, in, you know, from, you know, really just looking at the, the compounds that, you know, something like a little snail or an ant or an insect. When you look at the way they work and they operate and how they interact with their environment, get food and so forth, all their parts are just designed to work, you know, properly there. And so it makes sense to me that if there was this amazing designer and the Bible talks about how 
God made man in his image. Matter of fact, if we read in Genesis chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, and verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then it goes on, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And so when we can see now if we're made in the image of God, and it's very interesting, we can understand about nature. We've been learning about DNA, the amazing code that programs the cells in all living things. We can see this incredible evidence for design. And to me, it just makes so much sense that there is a superior intelligence outside the space-time system that we understand as the universe that wants to make contact with us. And, of course, the Bible explains that God made that contact down through the the ages, through uh, different people, but the time wasn't quite right. But during the time of the Roman Empire, when there was a, a lot of order, a lot of control, God came at that particular time, and that was a, as Jesus, as Jesus Christ, and lived. And when you look at the life of Jesus and the things that he did, it, he, and what he said was, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The things that I'm doing are the sort of thing God does. It portrays this, this God of, of love, this God of, of care, and how we can have a relationship with him. Um, through prayer and uh, also through providence. And we know those of us that are Christians and have have experienced God in our life, we know that it, it changes us and it, it's very real. But, you know, when I, I think about how most people today, a large you know, proportion of the world and growing proportion of the world live in cities, we're, we're very much isolated from the creation. We live in man-made buildings. We sit in offices surrounded by man-made machines or maybe we're out working in man-made machines and, and so forth. So we're surrounded with a lot of things that we have made as opposed to the things in nature that God has made. And it, it fascinates me that when we read in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 7, for example, it said, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life, and he became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. So when God made man, he put us in a garden. Now, down a little bit uh, further, it sort of repeats in verse 15 that, says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And as I've uh, been, you know, uh, involved in gardening, I'm, I won't say that I'm a particularly good gardener, but I, I try and I read in this area and I'm, I'm quite interested in, in gardening. One of the things that it's uh, dawned on me recently is that as we work in the garden and you see the interaction and the spider's webs and you know all the different insects and this sort of thing, the evidence that there must be a creator is there. The complexity of the ecosystems 
um, that are there in the garden and the beauty of the flowers and the different plants and leaves. Um, the aesthetics of these, I appreciate them as beauty anyway. I think to me is all pointing that, yes, there is a creator. And it seems to me quite interesting that we've separated ourselves from that lifestyle in many ways in our, our modern living. And I was fascinated that uh, fairly recently some articles have come out on the health benefits of gardening. And in 2017... In Preventative Medicine Reports, number five, pages 292 to 99, there was a very interesting meta-analysis published, and uh, the title was Gardening is Beneficial for Health, a Meta-Analysis, by Mashishi Soga and Kevin uh, Gaston and Yuishi Yamura. And uh, these uh, scientists work at uh, the uh, Graduate School of Agriculture and Life Sciences at the University of Tokyo and also at the University of Exeter in Cornwall. And so it's quite uh, interesting just uh, reading the abstract. It says there is increasing evidence that gardening provides substantial human health benefits. However, no formal statistical assessment has been conducted to test this assertion. Here we present the results of a meta-analysis of research examining the effects of gardening, including horticultural therapy, on health. We performed a literature search to collect the studies and um, participating um, gardeners and, and treatment groups. They, there were 22 case studies published after 2001. So they looked at studies essentially published uh, this uh, century. And uh, there were 76 comparisons between controls and, and treatment groups. The studies came from the United States, Europe, Asia and the Middle East. And the studies reported a wide range of health outcomes, such as reductions in depression, reductions in anxiety, even reduction in body mass index, as well as increases in life satisfaction, quality of life, and also a sense of uh, community. So this study, they they conclude that this study provided robust evidence for the positive effects of gardening on health. And then they said a regular dose of gardening can improve public health. And I thought this is really interesting that here we see in the Bible that God set man in a garden and he was to... Uh, work it and to keep it. And as as I thought about this and and thinking about gardening and managing my own garden, you you see these, the plants are continually growing and changing. So you've got to look after them. You've always got something to do. But at the same time, gardening offers the opportunity for a huge amount of creativity you can, you know, move, um, you might have some beautiful flowers and of different types, and so you can arrange them in a particular pattern. Um, 
and you can make little sort of groves of colour and uh, of different colours. So the opportunity to to be highly creative in so many ways. And, of course, we know God is creative. God, um, you know, created all the different forms of life. And then there's all the different types of animals that relate and, and interact with the, with the garden. And I thought this is, this is really interesting because here, you know, a lot of people criticise Genesis in particular, but I think, you know, here we have just one other little example that God put man in a garden. And it's interesting, too, that the um, original diet was uh, uh, plant-based food. So it says um, that originally God gave all the, the birds and the animals, they were to eat plants. And, um, of course, uh, man was... Uh, to eat uh, the plants as as well, and so it the original diet, of course, was a a, a plant based diet, and um, so the when we um, think about today too, the, these are the things you know. Plants are so easy to to grow in the garden, and I guess that was part of the the role was food, but. Of course, as we're learning now, as we understand about health, a lot of things about health, we know that the plant-based diet has a, a lot of advantages. And some of those advantages involve um, the importance of dietary fibre and our uh, microbiome, or that is the amount of um, all the different types of actually bacteria that live in us and... Um, actually then help digest and take nutrients out of the food and make them available for our body to use. Of course, this is one of you know the current areas of, of uh, research there. And, and so as we read in verse 29 of Genesis 1, and God said uh, to Adam, uh, to the first couple there, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And so, you know, it's, it's fascinating what we're finding out about the uh, benefits of uh, this food. Just recently, too, I, um, one of my colleagues um, drew my attention to a, quite an interesting f- um, film called Kiss the Ground. And this uh, film was about the urgent need that we have to conserve the topsoil on our planet. And we're losing topsoil at a, at a huge rate. The um, desertification, uh, the, uh, the change of sort of grasslands and, uh, you know, productive lands into desert is increasing. The areas of uh, the Earth's surface that have become uh, desert um, is certainly increasing uh, at an alarming rate. And I remember reading a book that was published back in 1948. Uh, it was drawn to my attention in the early 70s. It was called Tree Crops, A Permanent Agriculture um, by it's either John Russell Smith or Russell John Smith. He he was a professor of um, geography, as I recall, at the University of Toronto, 
And back after the war, he wrote this book and he pointed out that back then, the in the United States alone, each year they were the amount of topsoil that they were losing as a result of poor farming, and that is over-tilling of the soil, would uh, fill uh, boxcars or freight cars um, that encircled the world, I think, many times um, with uh, with the soil that was just being lost from the United States alone. It's a very interesting book, Tree Crops, a permanent agriculture. And what he was advocating in that was the importance of growing trees for food and that you and getting our food from tree crops because trees stabilize the soil. I think he one of the examples I remember recall reading, and it is quite a while since I've read this book, um, was for example that if we were interested in growing sugar, we grow a lot of sugar cane and uh, But if we grew honey locusts, we could actually produce more sugar per hectare than growing sugarcane. Of course, sugarcane can be fairly destructive of the, of the soil unless the, the cane itself is, is ploughed back in um, rather than burnt off. And so um, and a lot of nutrients were, were lost when they used to fire the, the, the cane. And so this film, Kiss the Ground, pointed out a very interesting fact that I wasn't aware of, that as the uh, things like grass and, and plants grow, they put their roots down in the soil. And, of course, the animals like, uh, you know, sheep and cattle and so forth, bison, come along and eat the grass off the top. But the roots remain and either the plant regrows or the roots die. Now, these roots are actually sequestering carbon. A lot of people are concerned about the amount of carbon that's increasing in the atmosphere as carbon dioxide as we burn fossil fuels. And this film pointed out that a huge amount of carbon is actually sequestered in the soil, in the roots of these plants. But when we uh, plough and till and break up the soil, this breaks up these root structures and a lot of it is is lost and the, the soil is then lost. But the other fascinating thing was that not only does this release then more carbon into the atmosphere rather than taking the carbon out of the atmosphere, but they pointed out that this um, the amount of carbon in the soil stores water and that soils uh, that have a high carbon content can store much more water and therefore are less susceptible to drought and more productive. And uh, it was very interesting. They showed some um, data where NASA, the um, American Space uh, Agency, showed that, uh, and they'd mapped out the uh, levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and showed that they increased very significantly at the time when uh, traditional uh, tilling of the soil was being done in the northern hemisphere, particularly across America, China and and, uh, Europe, Asia and Europe, and uh, that this tilling process, this heavily tilling and ploughing the soil and breaking it all up, 
um, and getting rid of all the plant matter, uh, you know, spraying the weeds and so forth. And, of course, a lot of the weeds send down very deep roots and bring up nutrients that this they could show with their mapping, and, and I, I presume it was infrared mapping, that the carbon dioxide content of the atmosphere greatly increased at that time. Whereas during the planting time, when the crops were being planted and growing, the crops, of course, are taking the carbon dioxide in. And um, and I, the way I thought of it was we know that plant fibre is so good for our, our health and it, uh, the point that struck me was it's clear that plant fibre is very important for the health of our soil. And, of course, healthy soil is you know so important for health. Another paper that I came across just uh, recently too was published in Clinical Medicine uh, this is the uh, London uh, published uh, clinical medicine in 2018. And so it's in the June edition, uh, issue number three, uh, pages 201 to 205. And the title of this article was Gardening for Health, a Regular Dose of Gardening. And um, one of the abstracts, it says there's anxiety that the National Institute of Health cannot cope now and in the future with the health needs of an increasing age and population. And it's also realised that pharmaceutical drugs, um, as beneficial as they've been, are increasingly expensive and not always as effective as they appear. And drugs are also prescribed at the cost of side effects, which can be one of the leading causes of admissions to hospital, particularly for the elderly. And uh, they go on and say that health depends on a range of social, economic and environmental factors. And um, what they uh, go on to point out is that... um, there's the opportunity to treat some physical and mental conditions with alternative or complementary therapies that encourage a change in lifestyle. And one of those things that uh, they recommend is gardening. And uh, they say, for example, that, um, that green care, or, or it says one group of holistic therapies that aim to treat the whole person and has been well researched through surveys and randomised trials is so-called green care or therapy by exposure to plants and gardening. And, of course, that's exactly where God originally intended man to be, in a garden and to work in a garden. It goes on to point out this article that was published in Clinical Medicine. Several trials have revealed the beneficial effects on mood, mental health of simply observing nature or even images of natural scenes. In a Japanese study, viewing plants um, offered EEG recordings, that's sort of mapping the brain waves, and reduced stress, fear, anger and sadness, as well as reducing blood pressure, pulse rate and muscle tension. Um, Another Japanese study simply found that it is more beneficial physiologically to view a green hedge rather than a concrete fence. So these are some really interesting studies that are coming out now on the benefits of of gardening. Uh, So again, this review article published in Clinical Medicine 218, uh, pages 201 to 205, by Richard Thompson uh, is uh, extensively referenced to a lot of these studies if uh, listeners want to follow up. 
In a pioneering randomised study by environmental psychologist Roger Ulrich, views of plants and trees from a post-operative wards improved the moods of patients and reduced analgesic use, that's painkiller use, surgical complications and length of stay. And uh, similar beneficial results have been found for patients undergoing dental treatment. And um, so these are some fascinating things that are that are coming out. Um, therapeutic gardens have been used in hospitals actually for over a thousand years, and uh, they were strongly supported by Florence of Nightingale uh, because um, they have beneficial effects on stress. Um, and so it talks about a number of uh, hospitals that have actually created gardens to, for the benefit of their patients. Gardening seems to be beneficial in health in many ways because it combines physical activity, with, often with social interaction, and also exposure to nature and sunlight. And this article points out that sunlight lowers blood pressure as well as increasing vitamin D levels and that the fruit and vegetables that we can grow have a positive impact on the diet. And, of course, that's very important too because, again, what do we read in the Bible? That God said in, again, Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed which upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in fruit. You shall have these for food. And so these are the things that we can, can grow. Um, these foods are, are so beneficial for us as we're learning more and more about them. And foods that are easy to grow, like legumes, the beans and peas that are relatively easy to grow, very beneficial, excellent sources of protein and fibre and um, you know, plants like lettuce and you know, not to mention the more um, you know, exciting perhaps plants to grow like the uh, tomatoes and pumpkins and and of course, there are so many exciting and different plants to grow too. There's, you know, the berries and the fruit trees. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's such an enjoyable thing. And um, the patients who were recovering from uh, myocardial infarction or stroke find that exercise in the garden uh, is more effective, enjoyable and sustainable and therapy in formal exercise settings. So there are so many um, benefits of being and having gardens and gardening from the exercise point of view to um, it's you know, good for your heart, good, reduces stress, can make you happy, proves your hand strength, can help the whole family get together. Um, can even build your self-esteem, particularly, you know, if you have vegetables to uh, share with friends and, and neighbours. Um, and, of course, um, the, the thing is, too, as we see these mental effects can be so important. You know, as, we, uh, as I think about the Bible, I, I think the Bible is such an amazing book and I would encourage every listener to if you haven't got a Bible, to to get a Bible and begin reading it, and believe that God really exists, and I think that you will find that God will begin to speak to you from the words of this book, because the book was inspired by God, 
And we're now seeing so much scientific evidence supporting even the fine details in this book. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, if you'd like to re-listen to this program, just on earlier programs, just Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au. And click on the Listen button. And there are a number of uh, previous programs there that you can listen to. Um, My other programs... um, Science Conversations are also available online. And, of course, on the website you can go to the television section and view uh, the television section uh, program Evolution Impossible series. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.